uh, I want to give you almost a locker room, first practice, pep up, pep talk, get up, get it moving, God's ready to see you serve. I figure we're finishing up team month. What better way to wrap up team month than talk about the importance of being part of the team? So uh, I'm going to bounce around. Usually I'm pretty exegetical. Usually I just go straight through one one passage of Scripture, just expositionally take you right through it. Uh, Today I've got three instances with Jesus, and the Apostle Paul sets our tone at the very beginning. So let me read it to you. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 18. He is writing To the church, and he is writing to a church that he founded, and he's writing to a church that he founded that's gone off the rails. It's became it's become selfish, it's become self-focused, it has become a mixed collection of a mess of spirituality. They don't even know who they are anymore, they don't know who they're following anymore, they don't know what they're seeking anymore. They've just become kind of this. Mess. So Paul writes a letter to sort out the mess, and I'm just going to steal a piece of it. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 18. It says, the human body has many parts. And guys, I'm, I'm jumping here already on it. My goodness, our production team, you all know what you're doing. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So what Paul is saying is you are a collection of different people. You are a collection of different socioeconomic statuses. You are a collection of different tribes. You are a collection of different races. You are a collection of different backgrounds. But the body of Christ is one body. And when you enter into Christ, you become family no matter how different you look. One of the things I love about our church, I'm just, we talked about this in a staff meeting a couple weeks ago. We sat down, we were talking about what are, what are we thankful for, and we all just kind of landed on the fact that we are a church with you will find anyone and everyone and anything and everything in between in this building. You will find, yes, that's worth celebrating. You will find college students You will find empty nesters. You will find every race. You will find... I I always have said this. I believe the church should be... If you were to take a a picture of the city and cut out a piece of it and put it inside of your... Your church should look like a picture of the city. So our diversity should represent when you walk into a classroom on campus. Our diversity should represent when you walk into HEB. Our diversity... You should feel the same walking in here as you do out there. It should be a picture of our diversity. And I love the diversity that we have. I love the differences that we have. We have Republicans. We have Democrats. We have everything in between. You're like, wait a second, Democrats and come to church? Yeah, they're just not allowed to sit in the first three rows. Like, that's it. No, I'm totally kidding. Listen, I make fun of Republicans too. They just don't get it half the time, right? But I mean, we have everything in this room. And yet one thing unites us, and that is the worship of Jesus. 
One thing brings us all together. It's the most beautiful picture you'll ever see. See everyone come in here and worshiping together to stand up here, to look out and to see many different people from many different tribes and many different nations and many different everything represented in one room worshiping Jesus. That's exactly what Paul says the body should be. So we are one body collectively united by the Spirit of God, baptized into it, united by the Spirit of God. Then he gives us another body, 14. He says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, Would that make it any less a part of the body? Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Skipping down to verse 27, this is how Paul wraps it up. He says, all of you together are Christ's body. We are one body. And then he says, and each of you. That is a Greek word for assigned part. So he's saying we are one body, and each of you has an assigned part in it. So Paul is saying we are the body of Christ, and within the body of Christ, we are a part of the body, and we have a role to play. We are part of a body, and we have a part to play in the body. Let me give you a, a funny illustration. So I, um, I, was, I was around a bunch of youth pastors, and we were kind of just talking about youth ministry moments, like what are some of the greatest, funniest, craziest youth ministry moments? You want to hear mine? I, I've probably told you this before, but I just love it. I think it's pure brilliance, and yet I was the one who had to do a lot of discipline for it. I took a group of students to a youth camp in Panama City Beach, Florida, and the guys had orchestrated a tactical assault on the women's dorm. And I mean, it was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. They had 30 cans of Axe spray, okay? And they took the 30 cans of Axe spray, and they had this, this electrical tape, like this black electrical tape, and they had put it on there so that it was like pulling the pin on a grenade, you know, and you just lock it down, and it keeps spraying. And then they had buckets of water, and there was a balcony on top of the girls' dorm. So they had these buckets of water on top of the, the balcony, and then on top of the balcony, and then they had big things of powder. Of, uh, of flowers. So they had all of this orchestrated. The girls thought it would be cute to sleep with the windows open so they could hear the waves crashing on the shore and they could smell the salt while they were sleeping in their dorm. So at two o'clock in the morning, these knuckleheads all simultaneously grouped around the women's cabin. They pulled down the axe bombs and there it was spraying and they threw them in like gas canisters inside the windows and gassed them out. These girls came walking out at two o'clock in the morning and they were coughing and they couldn't see buckets of water splash on top of their heads and then they're looking up and then flour and they powdered them and I mean it was (laughs) you talk about like 40 girls absolutely surprised shocked and assaulted and you you figure in like the 15 Karens that are the the moms you know they're there oh my gosh we're under attack they're trying to kill us you know you got to send them all home Send them all home. And I'm like the one that has to do discipline. And they're all in a room. 
And I'm just kind of like, wow, pure brilliance, right? <laughs> I, will, I will share this story for years to come. By the way, um, you all will clean the dorms and you'll eat last and you'll miss out on beach day and all of that. But just know I have a tremendous appreciation for the execution. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's phenomenal. But I have a friend who has the greatest youth ministry game I have ever heard of in my life. They were at a, a camp and they had a high, they had a zip, no, it was a zip line. And he said that there was this kid who was going to go on the zip line and there was a break that you reach up and you pull this break on the zip line. And so he's going down the zip line, he's freaked out and he reaches up to pull the break and he misses the break, grabs the line and slices his finger clean off. Gone. He's going down the rest of the zip line screaming with blood shooting out of his hand like, ah! and he's just, he's flailing everywhere. He catches the end of it. There's blood all over the entire camp. Here's it. They all come running down and, you know, like the real spiritual kids are praying for healing and the, the knuckleheads are like, this is awesome. Leave him up there. Let's just see him spin and squirt blood everywhere, you know. So they get him down, and the, the nurse comes running over, and the pastor, he's telling me he's there, and he didn't know what to do. And the kid, he's literally his hand, his finger is gone. And the nurse comes, and she puts ice on it, and she wraps it really quick, and she says, where's the finger? That question launched the greatest youth ministry game ever to hit the face of the planet. He said, man, I didn't know what to do. He said, so before I could think, I stood up on the table and I said, Toby's finger is gone and he needs it now. The room, the cabin that finds Toby's finger will be the first in the lunch line every single day of camp. And they're like, yeah, and he said, go and find it. And he said, these kids scoured this massive field. They ran up and down the tree lines. They were digging through everything. And then finally, he said, all of a sudden, you hear this scream, I found it! As it comes running down the hill, finger in hand. And you know, Toby's sitting there, he's like, oh. <laughs> he's got his finger. And she runs down with the finger, hands it to the nurse. The nurse puts it on ice. They rush Toby to the emergency room. And Toby miraculously gets his finger put back on. And it actually reattached. He has the finger to this day. Now, isn't that crazy? Toby will forever live in infamy of the great, greatest youth ministry game ever, right? Find Toby's finger. But what's crazy about that is this. What was once detached from the body has the opportunity to reattach again. What was once disconnected, what was once taken apart, what was once hurt and off now has the opportunity to reconnect and reconnect to the body and become a thriving piece of the body again. Listen to me. You can reconnect to the body of Christ today. You can reconnect to all that God wants to do in you. You can reconnect to all that God wants to do through you. You can reconnect and have a thriving spiritual life, but there are just a couple of things you have to do, and I'm going to walk you through those things in three encounters with Jesus. Are you ready? Okay. 17 of you are ready. 
Luke 22, 25 through 27. How do I reconnect with the body? How do I reconnect with what God wants to do in me? It says, Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of people. But among you, it will be, say it, different. I'll read it again. But among you, it will be different. We don't lord status over each other. We don't lord wealth over each other. We don't lord superiority over each other. We don't lord intelligence over each other. He says, among you, it will be different different. Those who are the greatest among you shall take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Verse 27, good question. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Who's more important, the one sitting at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, Jesus is joking, but not here. In other words, he's saying, in the world, it's who's sitting at the table. But in my kingdom, it will be different. And how should it be different? He says, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. First thing we have to do if we, have, if we want to reconnect with the body is don't just sit at the table, serve. Don't just sit at the table. We're not made to sit at the table, God hasn't called us to just come sit, to just come soak it all. God has called us to be, as you saw through Paul, what he said, a thriving, active part of a collective body. God has called us to be involved in the body of Christ. This isn't a place that you come just on Sunday. This is something you are part of for your life. This is the lifeblood of your soul. Meet your new friends. Meet your new family. Meet the people who are going to encourage you, who are going to be there for you when you go through tragedy, who are going to help you when you get knocked down. Meet the people, but you can't just sit at the table. You have to stand up. You have to become a part. Galatians 5.13, Paul says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Don't use your freedom to sit. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. In other words, Jesus has set us free not so we can sit. I'm not saved to sit. I'm saved to serve. I'm saved to be a part of what God is doing. James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Don't be hearers only, but doers. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. There was um, a, we had a guest bathroom when I was growing up, which meant that we weren't allowed to use it. Anyone? So it's ridiculous thing. Anyone else have rooms in a home that they grew up in they weren't allowed to access? Like the formal dining room? What on earth is a formal dining room? I'll tell you what it is. It's a room that nobody goes into for 364 days a year, and then grandma comes over for Christmas, and all of a sudden you're allowed to go in there, but if you spill anything or you rearrange anything or you make a mess in there, you'll never grace the surface of it again. You'll be at the kids' table in the kitchen. You think I'm talking from experience or what? formal dining rooms, guest bathroom. It had these towels in it that like you're not allowed to dry your hands with. 
Who puts towels in a room that you can't use, right? Tell me, the, explain the logic to me. No, those are the nice towels. Reach in the cabinet and use the old tattered ones, right? You can't have the nice towels. It was, and, and inside of that bathroom, there was this frame. And inside of that frame was this picture. And it was this picture of a sandy shore. And on the sandy shore, there were two steps of footprints. And then all of a sudden, it went to one step of footprints. And written over the top of it was the cheesiest Christian poem you'll ever hear in your life. You know where I, anyone know? Anyone seen that poem? Anyone still have that poem hanging in their house? We're not laughing at you, we're laughing with you. My mom had the same thing. I, you know, and, and so then it's this, it's this poem that says, uh, you, when, when I was you know, hurting or this, I was walking with you, and then when I couldn't see any steps or something like that, it was when you were carrying me, right? And you read it the first time, and you're like, wow, that's beautiful. And then you read it the third and the fourth time, and you're like, wow, it's corny. You know, and then, and then, but hey, listen, now here I want to give you something. Someone rewrote the poem. And I'll be honest with you, I think I prefer the revised version of the poem better. Let me read it to you, okay? One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. And then the strangest print appeared. I asked my Lord, what have we here? This print is large and round and neat, but God is, it got it's much too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and gained no strength. You laid quite still, you would not grow. This walk is not for me, you know. So I got tired, I got fed up, and there I dropped you on your butt. Because in life, there comes a time when one must walk and one must climb and one must rise and take a stand and leave one's butt prints in the sand beautiful, right? Isn't that beautiful? That's my kind of poem in my bathroom right there. But let me just, let me just encourage you with this because Jesus said the same thing. He said, who gets the honor? It's the one sitting at the table except you're in my kingdom. It's the one standing around the table. It's the one serving. Maybe you have been asking God to do something in your life in this posture and he's waiting for you. Forgive me for the French, but he's, he's waiting for you to get off your butt. He's, he's waiting for you to maybe just, just take a, a stand and to, to do something with your life rather than sitting and saying, here I am, stuck in the sand. The poem says you'll carry me. Well, maybe he's just saying, get up. Your legs work. You can actually do something with your life as well. It is, it is not about what you're getting out of life. It's about what you're giving your life to that will make the difference in your life. It's not about what you're getting out of it. It's what you're giving yourself to. Don't try to get something out of your marriage. Give yourself to your marriage. Don't try to get something out of your faith. Give yourself wholly to your faith. Don't try to get something out of prayer. Give yourself to the, the intimacy of walking with God daily. Don't try to get something out of your calling. Hmm, how will this benefit me? Hmm, what will this do for me? What resume can I put this on? Who can I tell about this? No, just give yourself to it and watch God do a work 
through it because God wants to work through you, but he wants to work through you when you're on your feet and not in your seat. Oh, that was good. I, you got it. You <sighs> Jesus said the place of honor, the place of importance, the place of favor, and the place of grace is reserved for those who are out of their seat. It's reserved for those who are part of the body. You got to get out of your seat. You got to quit sitting and start standing. You got to quit waiting around for God to just do what you're hoping he will do and stand to your own two feet and start doing something and watch what God will do. Let me, let me jump in. Part two. We got our home today or else I would stay there. Matthew 21, 1 through 3. As Jesus, no, real quick. No, let's stay. Let's go back really quick. Because I know we have a lot of college students in here, and I want to encourage all you, and you guys are incredible. I love all of you. I have a lot of college students ask me and say things like, I want to do what you're doing one day. I want to, I want to pastor on a college campus one day. I want to do what you're doing. I want to pastor, and I believe every single one of them can. But can I tell you something? You're at a tremendous disadvantage if you see the results and don't know the journey. My first job in ministry was middle school ministry intern. You ever watched a girls JV seventh grade basketball game? My, my job was sound, cleaning the bathrooms, picking up trash after kids. My first day in ministry, the entire, there was a July 4th party that happened and everybody tailgated and everybody left their trash. And I spent the entire day, my first day in ministry, walking around picking up empty cans and nacho trays that people had left. That was my entry into ministry. I didn't preach a sermon for years. Wasn't part of all that for years. But God said, just get up and start doing it. So I started doing it. Whatever needed to be done, I just did it and kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And that's what led to here. It wasn't sitting in a seat and then all of a sudden God saying, okay, my boy, I have a position for you as the lead pastor in Huntsville, Texas on a college campus. No, it doesn't happen that way. You got to get out of your seat. You got to get out of your seat right now and start doing something right now. Matthew 21, 1 through 3. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem... They came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. This is a cool story. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them. And he will immediately let you take them. Jesus just gave you the simplest response to doing what God has asked you to do. What did he say? Go do what I want you to do, and if anyone asks you, say it's because God needs it. Just do what God wants you to do, and if people ask you, say God needs it. What, what we tend to do is figure out what God wants us to do, and then we seek the affirmation of everybody around us. You are, listen, you are, you are only Submit, you are only submitted to God to the level you don't need validation from other people. You are only submitted to God to the level that you don't need everyone else around you to approve of it. You are only submitted to God to the level that you don't need everyone on social media to comment, to like, and to validate it. 
So we, we, there's, this, there's this game that we used to play where you would start off with a phrase and then you would say one word and then someone would say that word and then they would add a word to it and then they would say those two words and add a word to it and you would build this sentence and at the end you had to say the sentence out loud about you. So I would say, my, and they would say, my name. And then this person would say, my name is. And this person would say, my name is Luke. And then this person would say, my name is Luke and. And this person would say, my name is Luke and I. And then it's like, okay, this is going off the rails quick. I know my friends and I know where this is headed. But what would happen was I would start with something in mind and five, six people down the road, it would be something totally different. Same thing will happen to your calling if you start asking everybody to approve it. You start asking people, hey, God's laid this on my heart. What do you think about this? And will you be okay with this? And will, will you still be my friend if I do this? And then we post it to social media, and we're like, well, we'll just gauge the response, and we'll see what people say. And if enough people like it and enough people celebrate it, then I'm actually going to do it. And all of a sudden, you wind up with a calling that's no more your calling as it is the opinion of other people. Jesus is saying, do what I ask you to do, and if anyone asks you, say, I'm doing it because God needs me to do it. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not smashing on wise counsel here, but wise counsel should never be the opinion of a person. It should be somebody helping you discern what God wants for you. Let me show you the difference. Wise counsel is going to someone who is wise, first of all, and who follows Jesus and whose spiritual life you admire, and saying, hey, I feel like God has laid on my heart to do this. What do you think God is trying to speak to me? And they can pray with you, and they can walk through Scripture with you, and they can help you discern what God is trying to say. Here's what unwise counsel looks like. Hey, I think God's laid this on my heart. What do you think? Well, you know, this is what I think. That's not wise counsel. That's foolish tyranny. That's just control. All that it is. When God tells you to do something, do it. And if someone asks you why, because God needs you to do it. And you say, well, what if people won't like me for it? Great. Who can, I would rather God need me to do something than people around me like me for it. I would rather God. People ask, why, why did you come to Huntsville, Texas? Because God told me to come to Huntsville, Texas. Okay, why did God tell you to come to Huntsville, Texas? Because I, God must have needed me here. That's why. You could have gone wherever you want. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, I'm where God wants me to be. I don't want to be where people think is the fastest growing place on earth or the coolest city to live in. And I want to be in the center of what God wants for me. And my only validation for it is that God has need of it. If you're in here today and you are doing something that doesn't make sense to people around you, but you know that God has called you to do it by all, let this energize your soul to keep doing what God has called you to do because God has need of you, and in that space of God needing you is God's grace. It's God's provision. It's God's work and His Spirit on top of it. Don't let people talk you out of what God is talking you into. Don't let them distract you from what God is calling you into. Jesus says, just do what I'm asking you to do and quit seeking the validation of everybody else. And then let's land this. John 13, 4 through 8. It says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist. He's washing his disciples' feet and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. 
When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Listen to Jesus' reply. Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Unless I serve you, you can't be a part of me. Unless I'm, unless I'm engaging you and humbly before you, trying to help you, I can't be a part of this. John 13, 12 through 15, this wraps up the, the finale of it. He says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? Do you know what I was trying to do? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Verse 15, this is the verse. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. He's given us an example. He's shown us what is our posture. How do we get involved? Okay, so I'm not supposed to sit. I'm supposed to stand. And I'm supposed to do what God's called me to do. And how do I do it? I do it in a place of humble submission unto the Lord. Just saying, Lord, this is yours. He's given us the example. I don't know of anywhere else that we can go and find Jesus directly saying, here is your example. Follow it. Serve each other. Just serve each other. Don't fight with each other. Don't argue with each other. Don't point fingers at each other. Don't passively, aggressively post against each other on social media. Just serve each other. It's your example. We don't have a clearer example of our posture towards a brother or sister in Christ in Scripture than Jesus showing it to us right here. He says, it's your example. Uh, wives, women, ladies in here, you, you must understand something. <laughs> in God's unique design of man, he wired something intrinsically into us that we are unable to resist. It's in Ephesians 5. It's in the Greek. You can look it up if you feel like it, but just, you know, trust your pastor. Uh, it, it, is, it is the uncontrollable action of giving you a good game when you've been down in front of us. It just, it just happens. I don't, I don't, it is unavoidable. We cannot stop from doing it. It just, the, the other day I was washing dishes and Anna went to get something out of a cabinet right here and she bent over next to me and I was like, no, I shouldn't. Not, yeah, yeah. Okay, here you go. You know, it is just, it's in us. It's there. Ladies, any of you, your man's got this same unique God gifting spiritual gift with him. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's just God's put it within us, and it's there, and there's nothing that we can do about it. There's no way we can resist it. It's just, if it's, if it's there, it's like, uh, okay, here we go, you know, and it just happens, and it's really, really funny until I'm in the living room, and Anna is getting something out of the dishwasher, and my five-year-old son, Canaan, comes walking around the corner, and he comes prancing around. He sees mom getting something out of the dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> right? Proud, proud dad. I was like, yeah, there you go, boy. Nice work. Anna flies up, looks at me, and says, Luke! 
And I said, ah, what do you think? I got some go-go gadget arms. Like, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. And she said, no, but you set the example for him. I was like, it's just Ephesians 5, it's who I am. Like, how do I, how do I stop? Like, I can't stop. And so now I have to stop doing this because of the example. I'm, I'm realizing in my mind right now that I'm, I'm, I'm relating Jesus' example to serving each other to giving our wives good games. Lord, forgive me for that. But nonetheless, listen to me. We have an example we have an example, and our example is not this. Look at me. That's not our example. Our example is this. This is our example. This is how we live. This is how we walk out our faith. This is how we connect with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not. It's not. Hey, look at me. Let me got my hand in my ear. Got my hand in here. You see me? You see me over here? You see how great I am? No, it is, it is this right here. And if we will stop sitting and start standing, and start doing what God has called us to do, and we will just do what God wants, and we'll let the answer be because God wants me to do it. And we will just kneel to serve another brother or sister in Christ. I am telling you, if you want to see revival, if you want to see Jesus change more lives than ever before, if you want to see the church, collective church, grow beyond what we've ever imagined, if you want to see Christianity sweep the globe in a life-saving revival, it starts there. It starts right here. It starts right here, saying, how can I serve a brother? How can I love a brother? How can I dive into the body of Christ? And how can I do what God wants me to do?